Today I want to just start a, a very small series uh, we'll look at for a little while. Uh, basically, it reminds me of the song that Shauna has sung, as well as uh, Meryl, I believe, sang with her as well, a contemporary song of yesteryear called Pass It On. Now, when you think about it, in the song, you know, it talks about it only takes a spark to get a fire going, and then you pass it on. Well, the fire can be used both positive and negative. I obviously saw a lot of negative things when I was there with all the different fires that went through Yellowstone and different things. You can still see the great uh, devastation uh, because of the fires. But also, it can be used to uh, for, for great good. Uh, in fact, uh, forests need fires as well. They just need to have controlled fires. But I think for us, how many of us are getting things from the Lord and then passing it on? So are we getting what we should and then passing it on? So I think about it, looking at it, we'll look at it a little bit about passing it on, and it's going to be coming as a base, will be coming out of Proverbs, although we won't spend all our time there. But if you would, if you look in Proverbs, uh, we'll start in 1 Kings 3 and 4, but we'll be in Proverbs for part of it. <clears throat> the, uh, the background, is, if you think about it, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 3, and then... Looking at First Kings, it's interesting when you look at it, starting down in verse 11, talking about the author, and we know it well that Solomon, uh, God granted him a request. Be interesting too. What would you request? God said, "I'll give you anything." What would you? Re- what would your request be? And it's obviously in nine, he asks for an understanding heart to judge the people and discern between good and evil who is able to judge this great people of thine. And God then answers him in verse 11 and says because he didn't ask for riches or victory over enemies and so on, he's going to give him this wisdom. But notice in 12, uh, chapter 3, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so there has not been one like you before you, nor shall one be one arise after you. That's the case. Who's the wisest man to ever live? Solomon. Solomon. And so you think about it. He he's then going to be given riches, and he'll even give a long life if he would walk in accordance to his father and the walks of the commandments of the Old Testament. So you you have a person whose the intellect is tremendous, and you can see it when you go on later on when you get into the into Kings. Uh, you look at it. Look over to chapter 4 for a moment. Notice in verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. That's pretty good intellect, wouldn't you say? Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. When you think about that, all the studying of the stars, the building of the pyramids, Solomon's was brighter than all of them. And it even talks about the, in 31, then some of the wise men, it mentions the wise men of the time. He was greater than any of them. 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So when proverbs then comes along, 300 of his proverbs were then put into the book of Proverbs, he, although he had many, many more. 
And so, in fact, in chapter 1 of, of Proverbs, and in chapter 10, it says these are Proverbs of Solomon. When you get to chapter 25, 250 years later, the scribes of Hezekiah put some more of Solomon's <coughs> Proverbs into the book of Proverbs that we have today, as well as the others. When you get to Agar and so on, they added it. So, when you get to the book of Proverbs, the wisest man, although at times he might have had the intellect, he didn't live like he should have, uh, but he's giving it. So I think it's interesting when you look at the author, and Proverbs were not unusual. We had Proverbs in the... Uh, how many of you realize there's Proverbs in Numbers? There's also Proverbs in First Samuel. If you remember, David is speaking in First Samuel 24, out of, the wicked, out of the wicked come forth wickedness. That's the word for... It's the same word, proverb. He's given a proverb. He's the same thing in numbers. So he was quite things that the uh, intellectual people and people want to pass down, they give a proverb. And a lot of times when you look at the book of Proverbs, there'll be parallelism, you know, be like this, or it can be just the opposite, don't be like this, and you have it. The word there for, uh, I think it's interesting, when you look at uh, the word wise, it's the Greek word, excuse me, Hebrew word, it's used as skillful people working with their hands. A lot of times we think of intellect. And it's actually, when you, so when it comes to Proverbs coming from the same root word, it's when a spiritually wise person learns the things that God applies it to his life every day. It's like a workman learns how to do things with his hands and then he can apply it to things. It's when a person really understands Proverbs, he understands what's being said, he then applies it to his life and he tells others. And so I think what happens today, if you wanted to, almost a deal, you could say how to wise up. Any of you wish we could tell some of our youth, you need to wise up. It's one of the reasons why the book of Proverbs was so much was taught so much to the Jewish uh, young men and young women. But how many times do we teach Proverbs to young people today? So I think it's important for us to recognize why we need it, and it's all there. I think it's also interesting uh, when you look at the distinctions that you have in verse one, uh, chapter one and chapter nine. Wisdom and folly are described as two women, and so the wise woman is crying over here, or calling the people, and then the the uh, the one of folly is over here, calling back and forth. So each one is calling people. Do we have people calling people's attention today? Whether it be good or the evil, you have the same thing. When you get to chapter 10 to chapter 15, you then have the life of the wise lives this way, and the life of a fool lives this way. And so as we go through, you can look at it. And then in chapter 16 to 31, you have a different variety of uh, topics that are being covered. The duty, so if you look over in first uh, in Proverbs chapter 1, let's look at a little bit of the duty and that we all have. And then also the purpose. If you notice in chapter 1, starting in uh, verse 2 down to verse 6, you're going to actually have six different purposes that Proverbs has. And you'll notice the first, uh, verse 2 and 3, it's so that you and I will gain wisdom and knowledge and know how to apply it. It's not just somebody who can tell you things. A person who really understands the subject not only knows it, 
applies it to his life, but then notice in verse 4, what can he also do? He should do. You give prudence. So you're gaining knowledge, and then you're also then able to give knowledge. That's going to take time. It takes time to gain the knowledge. It then takes time to learn how to give knowledge. And you'll also notice in verse 5, do you ever stop learning? A wise man will hear and increase in knowledge. It's a lifelong experience. And we never will truly get all the way to the end where we know it all. So Proverbs is for the purpose of teaching us how to live wise spiritual things and then how to give it to other people. That's why the beginning in verse 7 is the fear of the Lord. It starts with the knowledge of God. If you don't have a knowledge of God, you will not understand a lot of things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Spiritual things, are people can't understand them if they don't have the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure, how many of you have talked to people and it's just like you're talking in a different language? They don't understand it. And then all of a sudden, the light bulb comes on. And that's the Holy Spirit working. But notice then when it comes to Proverbs, so what happens then when you go into chapter, the rest of chapter 1, and then you get into chapter 7 and chapter 8, or excuse me, 8 and 9, the wise is calling out and saying how valuable it is, but it's going to take time to learn it. It's going to be very beneficial, and then you give it to others. But then the life of the fool is temporary satisfaction. <clears throat> And it's something you can get right now, and it's for the, but the ends are bad. So the same thing happens today. What do most people want? They want instant gratification, and I want it now. And I don't look at what's going to happen in the future. And that's what's calling back and forth in the book. If wise, you'll do this. It's going to take time. You're going to have to work at it. But you, will, you can have it, and you can give it to others, and it will be a lifelong benefit. The fool is going to do this, and this is what's going to happen. When you get to verse 22, you'll see who he, they're writing to. And it starts here, Oh, how long, O oh, naive one, will you love simplicity? So it's talking about a simple person. A simple person is not somebody who is mentally challenged. In the book of Proverbs, a simple person is a naive person who believes anything doesn't examine his goal. He'd be very similar to, to my, like my uh, grandson, Caleb. When you're two years old, you know, you're kind of gullible. You can do a lot of it. Okay, that's what we're talking about with simple. Most advertisements on TV are, are geared to who? They really are. You know, they don't tell you what's in the car. They don't tell you any of that kind of stuff. They just tell you, all of a sudden you see some beautiful woman or you see some guy or whatever and this is what, when you buy the car, you, you get a car. You know, you don't get the person that they're advertising. And so I think it's, one is simple and that's what most of the book is geared toward. You also have the scoffer. You'll notice the scoffer is one who thinks he knows everything and laughs at what is truly important. Have you ever been around a scoffer? Isn't that what... Proverbs, I mean, Psalms 1 talks about don't stand, sit with a scoffer because he will, you'll become like him. And there's people you can try and, and teach. And I know, Shelly, anybody's been much teaching anything. There are scoffers. And they don't, 
you know, you're, you're having a real hard time when you deal with the coffee. And you'll, you'll find that after the first part of the book, Solomon quits dealing with scoffers. You notice the last one is the fool. The fool doesn't lack IQ, but he lacks spiritual desire and doesn't want to find God. And you'll find after chapter uh, 8 or so, he no longer addresses the fool. He goes after the simple because they can be taught and are open to being taught. So what happens, you have these three groups and he goes to address them in the book. And I think for all of us, I think what a lot of us are thinking, oh, I don't need Proverbs, you know, you know, I'm look how old I am. I don't need it. But I think what's important is dangers. And as you get older, how many of you have a little bit of trouble with your hearing? Is it just me? So how much noise do we have around us to where we don't hear what we should hear? And how much there's so much noise you can't decipher what you need to hear? We're on this trip when we go out to eat with talking with Gene and with uh, Mike and Randy. You get in these restaurants, the man trying to carry on a conversation, they can hear, but these old ears don't hear well. I've been around that lawnmower too long. It's just, you know. But what happens with spiritual things? How many of us have so much noise that we do not hear what the Word of God is saying? So I thought I would try to show this. I think also, when you look at the book of Proverbs, another danger is living for the line or living for the God. And the fool always lives for right now. But a wise person lives for the line. What benefit down the road and what's beneficial to my family down the road? So let's look at it when you think about the distinctions. Uh, and so let's just apply this in a different way. Go over with me would, would to uh, Mark chapter 14. Now I want us to, uh, for the title in today, would be Listen Carefully. And then you have this in Matthew, you have it in Mark, and you also have it in John, just before Christ's uh, crucifixion, Mark 14. And uh, to give you the background of this passage, I want you to, this is in Matthew 26 and verse 2. I'll just give this to you and then you'll see it. In Matthew 26 and verse 2, it says, The Son of Man is to be handed over and to be crucified. So Jesus tells them when they're in Bethany, which you remember Bethany is where, who also was in Bethany? Mary, and Martha. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You saw that in John and the raising of Lazarus. And you also had the, the uh, washing of the disciples' feet. Uh, you also the, the leper, and they're in the leper's home here. But he tells them two days before, I'm going to go up two days before Passover. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to raise again, and I'm going to wait for you in Galilee. So what is the what words did Jesus give? I'm about to die. Okay? How many of them heard that? You think about it. He told them repeatedly that he was going to go up to Jerusalem, he was going to die, he's going to raise again. Go to Galilee. So notice in Numbers 14, it's interesting. In verse 1 and 2, you'll notice the <clears throat> Passover and unleavened bread two days off. In verse 1, the scribes and the chief priests were seeking how to seize him by stealth and to kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. So they want to do it quietly. That's why they later have him arrested in the garden at night so people weren't around. 
you notice in verse 3, and while he was in the Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume, a pure nard. She broke the vial and poured it over his head. Who is this woman? Mary. Okay, John chapter uh, 12 tells us this is Mary. It also says that Lazarus is there, and if you look in verse 3 and 4 of John, it tells you that uh, Martha's fixing the meal. We saw Martha, obviously, very, very, and all of that's important, but notice Mary. Jesus says, I'm going about to die. She now takes this costly perfume. According to the text, it's interesting how much this is going to be. So, notice in verse 5, this perfume... You know, they brought Scoop go to verse 4. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? Now, according to John, who started this little episode? Judas does. According to John, the reason Judas started it was because he pilfered it and he was the treasurer and he wanted that money. Now, so notice then, Jesus says, I'm about to die. And Mary hears it. And out of thankfulness, she, in preparation, she takes the perfume. The disciples heard Jesus say it, but who are they listening to? According, okay. If you go over in John, you'll notice also in John, who was Saint, who was Judas listening to? Twice in John 13, Satan had entered him. He's listening to Satan. So the reason I'm asking to be listen carefully, how many of us are listening to the Lord and how many of us are listening to other people? All the disciples were listening to who? To Judas. Let's keep reading. I think it's interesting when you to listen carefully. Are we listening to Jesus or are we listening to others? They're scolding her, and it's in the imperfect tense, which means all of them are doing it, and they're doing this repeatedly. And notice then what Jesus says. Jesus said to verse 6, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? Notice three things. She's done a good deed to me. Have they done a good deed? No. Notice the second thing. The poor you'll always have with you, whenever you wish, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. You want to do something, you take money and give it to the poor, you can. You, you will always have poor. You won't always have me. Notice the third thing. She has done what she could. The question should have been asked if they were the disciples. Notice, Jesus says, I'm going to die in two days. Be crucified. She does what she can to help Jesus with the preparation. The disciples don't ask, what can we do, Lord? What should we do, Lord? They then, they're concerned of, why did she do this? They're listening to the wrong person and they're asking the wrong question. But how many of us do the same thing? How many of us are not listening to what the Lord is saying and we're listening to other people and we don't ask the right question? I think it's important when you're listening, how well do we really listen? They weren't listening as they should. It's also interesting when you look down in verse 9, 
Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, there also, which this woman has done, will be spoken in memory of her. It's an important deal. It's also, how many of you ever really realized before that it says she's going to die before Christ comes back? Because obviously in memory of her, it wouldn't have been in memory, it would have been in honor. But it's interesting when you look at it, how many in this passage, how many were listening to Jesus? One. How many was listening to Judas? Eleven. How many was asking the, doing the right thing? How many was asking the wrong questions? How many times? Notice they are they're intelligent people. But they get sidetracked. How many times do you and I get sidetracked so quickly not listening as we should be listening? If you go a little bit further in Mark, it's interesting. So you can listen to Jesus, we can listen to others. <clears throat> now they do, some of the time they do well. You notice in verse 12, down through 16, Jesus tells them to go prepare the Passover. Now I want you to think about this in verse 13. Now we find out in the other... Uh, Gospels, he sent uh, uh, John and Peter, but it's here it just says he sent two of his disciples and said, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him, and he'll have a guest room. Now, how many of you would like to say, Okay, I want to have Don, I want you to go in and I want you to prepare a Passover. Where do I go? Well, when you see this guy, just go follow him. If they ask you what you're doing, just tell them, uh, we want to use your guest room for the Passover. Do they do it? So sometimes they're listening to Jesus and following what he says. And sometimes they're listening to others and not doing what they should. How many times has that happened to you and I? So with Proverbs, it's the same thing. They're giving out wisdom, but sometimes people follow it, and sometimes they don't. But before we get too judgmental of them, how many of us are doing the same thing? But they do exactly what they're told to do, and they find it exactly as he said. But how many of us would have gone? The reason it would be easy to know is a, how many, a man wasn't normally carrying water. Women did that, so if you saw a man carrying water, he would stand out and you'd follow him. But again, they were listening. But what about when we get to 26? They sing a song, obviously the end of, when they instituted the Lord's Supper, the end of the Passover. And notice what Jesus says in 27. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Notice he's quoting that from the Old Testament. The Old Testament said, how many of them were going to leave? All of them. And what was their response? Notice then Peter, notice he says, goes on, and also in verse 28, he says he'll be rise again, he'll wait for him in Galilee. They forgot that too, didn't they? But notice in 29, we know it well, Peter said, even though all of them fall away, what? I won't. And notice then Jesus says, you'll deny me three times. But the end of 20, you know, and Peter keeps saying, no, he won't. But notice to the end of 31, they're all saying the same thing also. Were they listening to the Word of God? The Word of God said, 
you're all going to do this. And Peter and all the others said, no, we won't. How many of us are really listening to the Word of God? And how many of us think we know better? For instance, there is none righteous, no, that one. There's none that seek God. Isn't that what Romans 3 tells us? And how many of us would say that's not true? How many of us think we know better than the Word of God? So you think about it, when you're going through the book of Proverbs, how well do we listen? But as adults and as people who we, people today would call most of us wise when it comes to spiritual things. But how well are we listening to Jesus? How well are we listening to the Word of God? How well are we listening to the Holy Spirit? How many times do we get led astray by other people? It's amazing how much we get led astray by other people. That's why we have to be so careful of who we sit with, who we fellowship with, and everything else. You have the same thing when you stop and uh, you think about it. Look over in Mark, uh, Matthew 16 for a moment, talking about listening. Look over in Matthew 16. This happened just a little bit earlier. Notice what it says in from that time, in verse 21 of Matthew 16, from that time Jesus Christ began showing His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Notice what Jesus answers. We know it well. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on God's things, but on man's things. How many times do we do that? How many times are we listening to what God wants, and how many of us want what we want or what somebody else wants? How many times does that happen with our kids or our grandkids or anything else? I want them to do this, but God may want them to do this. And if I really want to support what God wants, then I have to do that. So you think about listening carefully. How well do we listen to Jesus? Go into all the world and what he tells us to do? Speak to everyone? But one of the, you know, I think it's really interesting as we look through the book, just how well are we listening? Do we really listen and how much distraction do we have? And the older we get, we have all distractions just like you ever wants to. And easily get to it. So let me just ask you some questions. Do I desire wisdom and discernment in order to live wisely before God? Do I really want to gain it to do what's right? Remember, we also saw in Proverbs 1 if I gain the wisdom, I'm supposed to be giving it. Now, how many of us think young people and children need it? Will we agree that they need it? Why do we have such a hard time finding? workers to help our ladies out? Do they need a man helping them as well? And I think it's important because what we're really telling <laughs> by our actions is what? It's not important. It's not important. We'll teach them how to change oil. We'll teach them all kinds of things. But you'll notice in Proverbs chapter 1 it said don't forsake the teaching of your mother, but also follow the teaching of your father. We need both. 
We need both of them doing it. And I think it's important that we do it. But again, how well do I listen to Christ? How many of you would say I listen an awful lot like the disciples? One minute I follow them, and the next minute I listen to somebody else. And we have to be able to decipher. And a wise person, because you have the, the wisdom calling on one side and folly calling on the other. And we have to be willing to be able to decipher that. And that takes true knowledge and understanding to be able to decipher what's going on. One will be temporary pleasure, and one will truly be eternal. What about Mary? Did Mary do what was right? With the washing of the disciples' feet, and remember when Martha's fixing the meal, Mary does what's right and listens. Mary does what's right a lot of the time. Thank you, Father. But I think most of us are more like the disciples. How well do I uh, decipher Christ's words from others? How well do I really understand what He's telling me? How many times do I always want to look and hear what others are telling me? What did Jesus tell them in Matthew 23? He talks to the Pharisees. He said to the disciples, do what they say, but don't do what they do. I think it's important. Scripture is still Scripture. But let's make sure that we are living it. But how many of us think we know better than God does? Isn't that what Peter did? Hey, no, you don't have to go to the cross. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, where would Peter be? Where would you and I be? And so I think it's important. Uh, and how many of us are showing our gratitude to Jesus? How many of us are so busy, like the disciples, we're always looking at other people and saying what they're doing is wrong? Mary did what was right and God laid it on her heart. The better question is not what are they doing, whether it's right or wrong, what do you want me to do? I think it's a question we can really ask. God, what do you want me to do? He's telling us what's going to happen, so what do you want me to do? And that's why I said that I think it's important to listen, listen carefully. It's very hard. It's very hard to listen carefully to what the Word of God says, what the Holy Spirit's telling us. <coughs> what others are telling us. Because we usually get caught up by wanting to go with the crowd. Even when they're disciples and they're believers, the crowd said she was wrong. And Jesus was saying, no, she's right. How many of us are willing to stand alone and do what's right? 